Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. I'm back again with Jeff Thompson in part two. I'm just going to give a little shout out for our donors this time. I want to shout out to Marianne and Lois. Thank you so much for your donations. Lois was actually a guest on the Spiritual Forum, and Marianne is somebody who participates in our weekly prayer for the awakening of humanities and prayer for the animals. So thank you, ladies, for your donations to the Spiritual Forum podcast prayer and retreat ministry. I'm not going to spend much time introducing Jeff Thompson. You can listen to the last part. Basically, an amazing man, best-selling author, successful playwright, uh, British Academy of Film, Television Arts, award-winning screenwriter, high-ranking martial arts teacher, and a phenomenal spiritual teacher on forgiveness and all sorts of other spiritual truths. So welcome back, Jeff. Thank you for having me, Carol. Yeah, I, I was saying we could have gone, we go on for hours and hours. I do want to get into a couple things. The law of reciprocity and how you cover that in your book is one of the things I want to pick up on. And also entanglement and kind of the opposition that we experience when mm-hmm. we decide we want to forgive. But reciprocity or the law of compensation, karma, the law of cause and effect, these are all different words of the law of reciprocities. Um, basically, this is where everyone's actions have consequences and no one escapes the consequences of their actions. Many people who have been harmed or abused or feeling any sort of slight feel that they want revenge. They feel that their justice needs to come, that we, the, the, the outer world needs to bring these people to justice and there's kind of this mm-hmm. angst about it. And you really talk through that that the law of reciprocity will take care of everything. So what else would you like to say about how the law of reciprocity is one of the reasons to forgive? Yeah, with the law of reciprocity, he says that you can have your cake and eat it. You know, you, you can still uh, have your day in court. You can still demand an apology. You can still ask for an explanation. Um, but truth and reconciliation, which we're all seeking, is a two-way street. If we demand it of others, we must demand it of ourselves. And I know for me, when I went into myself, when I went into my inner game and started looking at truth and reconciliation, like I said to you before, I I didn't need to concern myself too much with what the world was doing wrong. I was doing so many things wrong myself. There were so many things that I hadn't corrected, so many little things that I was missing. So it doesn't mean you can't have your day in court, and it doesn't mean that you can't find justice. But, But justice, like I said, is needs to be comprehensive. We all, you know, we all need to, um, uh, we, if, we, if I wanted to seek justice from somebody that's offended me, I need to make sure that I'm prepared to meet the justice for the things I've done wrong. So reciprocity says that it might be part of your karma, it might be part of your life to seek that, to seek that justice, to go to court, to do all that. It's not that those things are wrong, but it's just saying that if the, judici- if the judicial law doesn't serve you, if it doesn't meet out the justice you think it should do, you don't need to concern yourself because the law of reciprocity is meticulous. It is, it is an impeccable mm-hmm. bookkeeper. And anything that needs to be returned will be returned. 
you know, there's a lovely saying at the at the end of the Quran where it says, um, in the in the next room there'll be um, in the next um, you know in the afterlife in the beyond in the in the world to come there will be a room with two queues, and the longest queue will be made of made up of excuse makers. Do not be an excuse maker. So it's kind of the same. Everybody's doing things wrong. Everybody's done things wrong. So correct those things first. Get the justice within your own life. You know, if you're a policeman going out to try and stop corrupt policemen, you know, it's no good if you're living a corrupt life. You know, if you if you if you are trying to um, if you're trying to hunt down corrupt criminals or corrupt policemen, you can't be corrupt yourself. You have to be impeccable. So this is about finding that impeccability in ourselves. So reciprocity says that. One of the main things that people worry about with forgiveness is say, I'm going to forgive him, he's going to get off with it, he's going to escape, escape the consequences of his actions. But only, you only need to do a little bit of investigation, a little bit of investigation to recognize that that's not true. Nobody escapes the consequences of their own actions. Now, the danger with thinking that you can, not only means that the person or people get away with things, because it seems like they are, but it means that you think you can get away with things. It means that you quietly think that you can do things and get away with them. You can think that what you think and what you say and what you do doesn't have an effect. It does. What you think has an effect immediately on your body. What you think, if you're thinking negative things or unkind things or violent things, um, people say, oh, it's okay if you're just window shopping. It's not because it creates a caustic avalanche in the body. And it can create devastation within the body. What we think is real, it has an effect. What we say has an effect. Of course, what we do has an effect. So it's about understanding law. It's about understanding the fixed law. This, this, is, um, this is so obvious, it's almost insulting. But people generally don't know that there are fixed laws. Aurobindo, Sri Aurobindo, says that we can't even begin to work if we don't acknowledge reciprocity, causation. We are, we are a causation-making machine. We cause things to happen. But most of the time, we're in such denial of what we're doing, um, you know, that, that we continue to blindly do it, you know, and, and denial, of course, is its own prison, isn't it? So this is about radical honesty, about going, yeah, this is where I'm at fault. That's why my books are so confessional, because I need, I need kenosis if I'm going to make room for God. So it's saying um, you can have justice, but if you're going to seek justice from others, make sure that you expect justice from yourself. You can, you can, um, you can seek apology, but make sure you're prepared to apologize as well. And you, can, you should be afraid not to forgive because, you know, you set the bar. You know, your ability to give over that somebody else's sin to God is how you'll be matched. That's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. Um, about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, to the level I forgive them, please forgive me. So if I'm not going to forgive them, I'm not forgiving myself. What we do when we hold on to grudge, and it, just for want of a bit of a little bit of investigation, just a little bit of investigation, we hold on to grudge because we think we have that power, and we think that if we haven't got witnessed um, revenge, it won't happen. But nobody escapes the consequence consequences of their actions. You don't have to look far to see evidence of that. I know firsthand because for a period of time I lived very violently and I lived very unkindly. 
and I damaged a lot of people. And I watched every one of those things come back to me in different forms, in different ways. I watched them come back equally and oppositely, and it was painful. And this was my own actions. Once I saw that, once I saw the power of that, once I saw the power of, you know, the cause, the causatory power of my thinking, saying and doing, I changed everything. I remember working on the door and, and I was shown the secret to um, efficacious martial arts. I was shown what works in a real fight, basically. And this egregore of the door, this spirit said to me, do you want to see more? Do you want to understand more? I mean, at the moment, you're, I'm showing you how to stop a monster with a, with a right cross, but do you want to see more? Are you brave enough to see more? And I said, I would like to see more. He said, where are these monsters coming from? He said, you have infrastructure here and monsters queuing up at the door. You said to your wife yesterday, isn't this city violent? Everywhere I go, there's violence. And your wife said to you, there's a common denominator, Jeff. It's everywhere you go. He said, mm -hmm. where are these monsters coming from? He said, you are creating monsters with your perceptions. You are forgetting you've created them. Then you're designing tools and methods and techniques to defeat the very monsters that you've created and forgotten. These are your monsters. So why don't you stop trying to fix every three-legged stool in the world and stop making three-legged stools? So I realized straight away, I mean, literally, I created my perception of a violent world, my perception that I needed to protect myself at all costs was so powerful that I disfigured myself. I took away all my prettiness. If you look at my ears and my bulbous knuckles and my nose, I was a pretty boy. I was so afraid of being abused that I turned myself into this uh, physical tank and this unattractive, physically unattractive man. Um, to stop any predators coming near me. I created nightclubs, clubs, fights, in, fights at weddings, fights at funerals, fights at christenings, fights in the street. Everywhere I went, I was creating fights because it was all I did. I lived and breathed it because I thought I needed to protect myself against a marauding world. When I realized that it was my perceptions creating that, and again, I'm not talking as a metaphor, literally, I changed. Before I, before I changed, I had weapons in every room of my house. All my books were about violence. All my teaching was about violence. My beliefs were about violence. My world was surrounded by violence. And people patted me on the back, and there were free beers on the, on the bar like winners' cups. I thought people admired me. Actually, they were just afraid of me. When I realized it was me creating that, because I'd dedicated myself to violence because I thought it would protect me, I reversed it. Every book, every room in my house um, had a Bible or, um, or a philosophical book um, or a tome. Or I've got rosary beads everywhere. I've got rosary beads around my neck. I've got rosary beads by my bed. Everything in my life changed. I started to read. I started to study. I started to remove the violence and convert it into light. So now when I look out my window, I'm, I'm 100 yards from where Shakespeare was married. That's where my barn is. I'm living in a grade two listed barn in the middle of one of the prettiest towns in the world. That is not a change of location, Carol. That's a change of perception because I understand the fixed laws. I understand that what I think, what I say, what I do will have a very real effect. It's not just like I'm releasing, uh, um, like it's not just like a sonic release. It's not just like I'm releasing magic sound. I'm releasing spirit. Spirit is coming into me 
and it's going out to me. I only want to be responsible for releasing love, love, love. That's all I'm interested in. So to do that, I have to get rid of every antichrist in me. Everything, every, everything that is anti-love needs to go. And that's, that's what I said before. We, you know, we, that's for want of a bit of investigation, for want of a bit of research. Research isn't going on to the first conspiracy site you find. It isn't going on to a message board. You know, study is to go to start looking at the Bible. Go beyond the revealed Bible. Go to the hidden Bible. Go to the exegesis. Go away from the, the, um, uh, the, the binary Bible. The binary Bible says yes, no, right, wrong, dark, light. The quantum Bible says, oh, this is Reverend Carol. This is where she is. This is what she wants to do. This is her dharma. This is her potential. This is the information we can give her. This is her capacity to work. This is her, this is her, the, the strength of her love for God. And they will start to bring you bits from everywhere that will make no sense until you bring them together into a whole picture. And they are there just for you, just for you. Nobody could access them because they haven't got your DNA. That's the quantum Bible. But of course, most people are, are scared away from the quantum Bible by the normal, usual house ghosts. You know, they get frightened away by dogma. Well, violence is responsible for all wars. Well, is it? People were killing themselves way before religion. You know, that's, that's oh, not yeah. because of religion. <laughs> that's because of the, no. the, you know, the opposing energies in the world. So it's kind of saying, do a bit of investigation. Do a little bit of investigation and you'll see truths that will frighten you because they will challenge everything you believe. People say the same things so often and hear the things so often. They're taking like PhD level of rhetoric from the internet and from, you know, from the television, maybe eight or 10 hours a day. I mean, that's, that's PhD level, but it's all nonsense. If you, were to, if you were to dedicate your life to finding truth, you know, and that's what uh, the idea of our podcast is to encourage people to open the door and find out for themselves. It's the Dharma gate we're offering them, we're offering them answers. The mm -hmm. answers, we haven't got their answers. Their answers are in the quantum. They're in the, the hidden Bible. It's, so it's saying that, well, let's talk investigate. About, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, um, well, first, first, let me back up. So you would say that all of our uh, work to do and maybe work isn't the right word, but... Work is the right word. It was a great word. Okay, good. Because <laughs> it yeah, is sorry. work. So it, 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 is, it is all an inner journey. And even though yeah. we're going to be talking about with the opposition that there, you know, you talk about how there is you, you, an, an evil force or something out there that's external to yeah. us. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's external and it's internal. Yeah. So the inner work... Um, does it ignore that? So this is what I wanted to kind of get to because no. the inner work yeah. is people can do this inner stuff, but, but ignore that there's anything kind of negative out there. So it's kind of, there's a, there's a both and I think here. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we work on ourselves. We, we bring off, we bring ourselves into a unified being. That's the work. Gurdjieff would call it the work. So it's a good name and it is work. So we unify the self. We recognize that we have an evil inclination, we have a good inclination, and it's a bit like a light bulb. You notice there's a, um, a right terminal of energy and a left terminal of energy, and they're connected by the isthmus of a filament, um, like a filament that joins them together. 
So when you, when you join the dark and light together, it's no longer dark and light. It's just light. So you've got, you need both sides. So there's good and there's evil. When you, put them to, when you join them together with, with this um, filament, it creates light. And that light glows for everybody. So the idea is that we recognize that there is a, there is a goodness in us and there's a darkness in us. We don't hide from the darkness. What we have to do is use our will force as a divine filament to join those together. When we join those together, we create light. But before we can use the soul as a, as a divine filament, as a bridge, if you like, um, we have to temper it. It has to be tempered. Like a, a tungsten filament in a light bulb isn't just, um, they don't just place it into a light bulb. It has to be tempered. It has to be um, put through processes so it can take a large degree of uh, wattage of, of, of energy. We're the same. We can't just put our, we can't just put our soul in front of these you know, massive forces in the world has to be tempered. So what I do in my life is I've, I've, I'm aware of those two forces and I connect them with the filament of my will force or the filament of my soul. This is what the poet Rumi would call the field beyond right action and wrong action. There is a field beyond right action and wrong action, between beyond good and bad. And that field is this field of light. I will meet you there. But we have to be able to create that, and we can't create that without a unified body. So we have to, we have to bend these two forces um, with our will so that they join together. And when they join together, they create light. That's what we do. So part of us wants to stop and sacrifice our time and energy to help a rough sleeper on the street. Another part of us thinks, well, it's not really my problem, and I've got, I'm busy and I haven't got enough money. When we use our will force to stop, and give that person kindness or even just a, something for a cup of tea, we have created light. We've created a sanctifying force with the use of will. So we've constantly got those two forces in us all the time. And it's important to, because I think that a lot of people want to ignore one of these sides. They, you know, that's a spiritual bypass. Yeah. Like the evil part's not right. So I, it's all about just getting rid of this. So I just have this. And you can't have yeah. light with this. This is what I love about this metaphor. No. Is this, this one yeah. part doesn't create light it is the the balance no. of the two of them yeah you need both they're, and they're both yeah. ordained so when you when you connect good and evil with the with the filament of the soul there is no longer good and evil there is just light right so we create the chinese in chinese mythology they would call it the floating bridge of heaven and hell of, of heaven and earth so we use the soul to create a bridge between two worlds they call it the isthmus and in that middle place we create light, we create tinctures of light. But to do that, like I said, we have to unify the body, and we unify the body through the use of the spiritual will. Um, but those forces are there. But if we don't want to acknowledge them, those forces are there, and there are also forces outside of those forces that we need to understand, but not hysterically. We need to recognize there are angels, we need to recognize there are watchers, we need to recognize that there are demons, that shouldn't really, it shouldn't really surprise people because we see that every single day on the television. We see the angels and demons in, in, just in ordinary people. I've seen a witness and working as a bouncer. I've been both. So we recognize that they're there, but there are also incorporeal beings. And in order to um, unify with the Godhead, we need to understand those forces, just like we need to understand electricity. We need to understand transformers. We need to understand the grid. We need to understand 
lines and panel boxes and and we you know we're going to use that force of electricity we need to understand it and then channel it in a way that is beneficial you never heard anybody uh, on the news saying evil electricity kills innocent child we just recognize that if somebody's killed by electricity it's, it was an unfortunate accident because somebody touched it without knowledge this power that we're talking about is an awesome power um People often laugh at uh, people like us who live a very spiritual life because they think it's soft, they think it's socks and sandals. It's actually a very powerful position, a very powerful stance, and you need to be tempered in order to, to live like this because these forces, these darker forces, are always pressing against the glass. And if there's a fracture, they'll rush in. That's what they say about a light bulb. You know, it, it has to work in a vacuum. It has to be hermetically sealed. If it's not hermetically sealed, if there is a single fracture in the glass, the oxygen will rush in and the filament will be uh, blown. So it's the same with these negative forces. I don't make an enemy of them. I don't look mm -hmm. at them as an enemy. I just mm -hmm. make myself a hermetically sealed being. And mm -hmm. I say hermetically sealed, it means I've cleaned out all of the negativity, kenosis, self-emptying, um, and I've surrounded myself with virtue, with the angelic forces. People can believe about these forces or not, but again, a little bit of investigation um, would show you that they're there. I've physically seen them, so I, I don't have any doubt about it. But whether people want to think of it as a, as a being or an incorporeal being or as a force or an energy, it doesn't really matter because if we don't engage it, it has no existence. It is, um, it is without, it's disembodied, so it, it needs a body to work through this negative force. And it catches onto our own negative inclination and feeds off that. But it needs a body. It needs permission. It's, this is the uh, metaphor of the vampire. It can't cross the threshold without permission. But it tricks its way in. And suddenly we find ourselves thinking and saying and doing unkind things. And then we, th we kid ourselves that we can get away with that. Right. So this is, this is the idea, like you mentioned in your book also, how Eckhart Tolle calls us the pain body. I've also heard it called, you know, occult hostile forces. And there's all sorts of names, but this is where we have like trauma or pain or suffering. And there is some sort of entity or energy that feeds off of that and, and yeah. then kind of yeah. embodies us. And that's why like body work is so important. That's why prayer is so important. That's why integration work is yeah. so important so that so we don't make ourselves vulnerable to this. So when, when we act out, um, you mentioned in our first part that that is not always like who we are. That is a, often a force working through us. I mean, sometimes it may be who we are, but depending upon, I guess, the severity and what happens, it may be these forces acting through us. And so this is important, I think, for people to recognize, because I think a lot of people don't know about this or they deny it, or they think that, that all that, you know, devil stuff and demon stuff in the Bible, those are just ancient people who had kind of, they didn't really understand psychotherapy. And so mm. they kind of made up this yeah. thing that there's a demon outside of them. I think a lot of modern people think that this is, you know, rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a, it takes, you have to have a tempered soul to, to look at this, to even look at it. Cause the moment you look at it, it attacks, it assails, but it's there. It's definitely there. I've, I've, like I said, I've seen them. I've witnessed them. I have protection. I don't pretend to protect myself. I'm not strong enough to protect myself against that kind of force, but I have angelic guidance. I call that in. 
that angelic guidance is only going to be there if I'm doing my work, if I'm hermetically sealed, if I'm constantly putting myself in harm's way, I, f I fall out of protection, you know, that heavenly guard disappears because I've chosen with my free will to separate myself from it. So I orchestrate my life so that I'm um, hermetically sealed, so that I'm balanced, that I'm aligned, I'm in ceaseless prayer, um, and then I, I don't make an enemy or a friend out of these forces. I just recognize them as forces that I'm here to convert. I'm not here to destroy them. I'm here to convert them. And if I can create a singularity within myself, which is my soul, these, if these forces approach that singularity, they will automatically be converted by proxy of being close to me. We well, you know anybody that looks into the face of somebody who looks into the face of God looks into the face of God. So when I ask God to keep me close to his heart, and keep me ever within his sight. What I'm basically saying is, um, if, if I'm in his sight and in, in close to his heart, any negative energies that approach me will also be in his sight and close to his heart, and they won't be able to tolerate that. They don't tolerate kindness. They don't tolerate sanctity, tolerate sanctity or love, so they stay away. So the best way to keep these forces at bay um, is to constantly be in a place of love. Um, and if we fall out of alignment, we, we recognize it and we address the balance as quickly as possible. But in order to find unity with God, we have to look at the forces that are stopping us from making unity with God. Um, so we need to look at that, just like I said, just as we need to look at, you know, transmitters and all the different things that we use to decrease the force of energy so that we can bring it through a plug in our house. So we need to understand it. We need to have some understanding of it. If it sounds too complicated to people, um, and it sounds complex, because it is, just live kindly, think kindly, say kindly, live kindly. You know, do to others as you would, ex as you would like them to do to you, the golden rule. Yes. Because I've been asked to go into it in the complex way in order to try and reduce it into similes that I can pass on to people as a light. So I'm not, I'm not just using words, I'm using magic sound, I'm using sound that has, um, if I do it properly, I have spirit in it. So if it inspires somebody, then, they have, then I, have, I have used the imposition of spirit and passed it on to them with my sound or with my breath. These are kind of ancient techniques that are in all the different Bibles, and we don't often recognize them, but, you know, my, uh, my dharma is to do just that. It's, as, as I promised when I was a depressed guy, when I find the truth, I'm going to tell others. I don't want to scare anybody, but I just want to say to them, understand the rules. You're in the world, understand the rules. If I put you in the jungle tomorrow, you would understand the rules pretty quickly or you'd get eaten. But people um, don't seem to want to look at the rules here. And there are fixed rules. And they are, whilst these rules are restrictive, they're also protective. And we need them. You can't develop a singularity without a plurality. So we need, we need the plural to create the singular. So the three forces, negative, uh, positive, negative, and the neutral. Mm -hmm. Then we've got the dark energy, the light energy, the dark energy, and we've got um, you know, the soul. So a simple way of explaining that would be, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. I really want to be healthy. <sighs> it's just too much effort, and I'm only here once, and I just want to eat what I want to eat. So you've got two very powerful forces that just neutralize each other. So, but if you go, I really want to get healthy, and another part says, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. And you place your will force between those two forces and force yourself 
take command of it, take control of it, and make yourself eat, eat healthy, make yourself study, make yourself do research, make yourself look into these things. Um, you're exercising your will. You're taking autonomy. And I don't mean just turning up for work every day. That's a forced autonomy. Somebody's paying you, and if you don't turn up, you know, um, if you don't turn up, you, um, you won't get paid. I'm talking about um, a self-willed autonomy where you go, this is very difficult, and I'm going to do it because I want to understand more. You know, I'm going to study. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to eat ultra-healthy. I'm never, ever going to let an unkind word leave my lips. Try that for just one day. Yeah, yeah. And if you see, if you think you've got a will force, try it. It's so difficult. I mean, I see. And if you can with... try and sit in the middle of likes and dislikes and see whether you've got the will force, but we can develop the will force. Like I said, we can develop it through the work. Yeah, I see this a lot in some of the work I do, which is really around the golden rule and expanding it to go beyond just humanity and extend it to animals and all of life. And I see this with people where, you know, they want to live the golden rule, but they love bacon, you know, <laughs> and I can kind of see, <laughs> I see this all the yeah. time as I'm, as I'm tabling and trying to, I, you know, I'm tabling with spiritual people who are all about love and peace and harmony. And it's like, you mentioned in your book too, that we, we, we often don't see our own faults we look out there but how innocents are being harmed out there but we're harming innocents with our yeah. own food choices and so i see this i love this i love yeah, this uh absolutely. polarity and the filament metaphor because i i think that's what causes people to not it's the will that's missing i'm seeing this so much in almost yeah. everything like we that's know it's key. right yeah there's this other thing and it's this will that that would bring it together and be light but the missing mm. of the will, which is succumbing to the senses, succumbing to habit, succumbing to, you know, how things are always done, cultural conditioning. I can't make the change because that, that negative pull is pulling me there, whereas our will could connect yeah. the both. So you've helped me understand a lot in my yeah, own absolutely. My There's own a work. lovely yeah. saying, um, master of the will, I am that. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. other words, the part of us the higher part of us that actually exercises the will, not just the will itself, but the part of us that enforces the will, that is the, our true authentic self. If you want to know who your true authentic self is, um, make a sacrifice um, and, and exercise the will to do it, even though it's very difficult, and watch the sanctifying force of it, but also observe the part of you that is exercising the will. That is who you actually are. That's how you identify the, the individual eye. And behind the individual eye is God, the the Ainsof, the endless one. Yeah, you know, the this Dao, is the divine will. Yeah, the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. So, okay. so it's um, you're absolutely right. It is it is all about the will. We have to exercise the will to get our food body right. That's you know, most people haven't got control of their food body. They say they have autonomy, but they do terrible things to their physical body. They haven't got control of their breath body. And the breath body is how the subtle bodies, the, the breath is how the subtle bodies feed. There's prana in breath. It feeds the subtle bodies. Um, and we haven't got control of the, the mind and the intellect. The mind is like a monkey swinging through trees. It's just going from one branch to another, grabbing one thought to another. We haven't got control of the intellect. The intellect is stuck on repeat. You know, mm -hmm. you know um, societal dogmas, not, you know, and people have this, it's very popular at the moment to have 
to think that spirituality is soft and it's and it's always perpetuated by people uh, that are afraid. Yeah. Said so to me, you just haven't looked at it. If you looked at it, you'd be afraid, and you should be, because you will automatically bump into God. And our, and the beginning of wisdom is a fear of God. And I don't mean a fear that God is going to hurt us, but once we see God, we have a fear of being separated from Him. We don't want to be separated from Him because it's painful. So people don't look at it and they don't go inwards because it's too easy to take yes for an answer. I said, look, look, before you start changing the world, get, you know. It's too easy to look what's out there as the problem. You know, there, there's yeah. the mess out there. Yeah. But I, this whole filament thing is really helping me because I'm thinking that, that, you know, a lot of people have questions about why is there evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why is there evil in the world? Well, it's all part of this integration expression. This, yeah. it's, it's all part of creating light. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have probably 10 minutes. I think, I think we can move into entanglement. You mentioned it some in part one, but we, we tend to get entangled with the people who we feel wronged us. Like they're, they're stuck in our minds. They're living in our lives. They're in our hearts and our minds for years and years and years because we haven't released that. And that's entanglement. And we can shift our entanglement towards the divine and, and, and you use the principle of entanglement. Yeah. To, to benefit yeah. us. So why don't you talk about that for the next you know, few minutes or so before I have to close? Yeah, well, entanglement means that um, it's another word for possession, really. If we hold a grudge to somebody, we feel powerful, but we're actually possessed by them. They're living rent-free in us. They're living rent-free on our, on our causal body. They're taking over our body. Every decision we make, whether it's conscious or not, is coming through the filter of uh, these grudges. And maybe we have lots of grudges. I had one friend say to me, I sat down and counted the other day and I've got a hundred enemies. So there's a hundred people sitting on his, on his causal will. There's a hundred people. He felt quite proud of it. But it, for me, it's, it's um, recognizing I have no enemies. I just have one friend um, and, and that's God. And I turn to him. I don't even need to articulate it because obviously we can't. I wouldn't even be nowhere to begin, only that I feel it and I want to please him. But it's a powerful force that if we, it is so awesome when we get this sanctifying force working through us. So I just want to make myself um, a better instrument for that. So reciprocity is saying that the whisperer tells us it's good to hold on to that. And, uh, you know, you've got power, you're holding on to that. I never forgive, I never forget, and I want justice, and I'm so angry, and all it's doing is bleeding you. It's, it's, it's like a background vampire just bleeding off your energy. Again, I've had divine visions of what this looks like. Um, and the moment, the moment we allow these vampires across the threshold, um, that, that normally through some kind of provocation, some kind of temptation, then a coupling, you know, we couple with it and go, oh, maybe it's a good idea. And, you know, and then there's a, an ascent who go, oh, yeah, it is a good idea. And then suddenly there's an enforced abduction of the will. That's basic demonology that's what happens but it's basic with any temptation so this is using what they call proto-passion proto on the door we called it preemption the preemptive attack so we would stop an attack before it even started by reading the um by reading the situation and seeing when the situation was about to become physical we would interrupt it and kill it before it started so proto-passion means that we recognize provocation and we kill temptation at the level of provocation the moment we have the idea that we're going to say something or do something 
that is not in accord with wisdom and love, we kill it immediately. We, we just notice it, we observe it, and we don't allow it in. The moment it becomes coupled, and then we have a sense, suddenly we are no longer in charge of our own body. It will allow us and encourage us to think we're in charge of our own body, but this semi-autonomous thought form, this parasite, will want you to think that you're in charge of all this. You know, one of my friends said to me, um, he was in he was in control of his alcohol, but I knew he wasn't. And I said, well, when you go on holiday tomorrow, because you're going away for two weeks, why don't you, if you're in control of it, why don't you have two weeks off? He went mad, he went crazy. And his language was like, all right, when I'm on holiday, I'll murder myself. All right, I'll kill myself with it. I know I'll be dying with it. But that's my choice. But who, who, in, who, who if they were sane, would make that kind of choice? If they were sane, who would smoke cigarettes? If they were sane, who would take drugs? If they were sane, who would, who would be unkind to other people if they knew that unkindness returns like a boomerang? It absolutely does. In one form or another, everything you put out there returns. And it, and it returns and it returns again. Everything, you, if, everything I do to you, I do to my children because everything affects everything. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. That's basic, again, basic science. You know, in Indra's web, everything is connected. So what I do... I, I am, in a sense, responsible for everything that ever happens if I'm contributing in a negative way. If there's a leak anywhere, there's a leak everywhere. So I want to contribute in a positive way. And that means everything I do is in accordance with wisdom and love. If I make a mistake, I repent it immediately. I redress it and bring myself back to the center. So the idea with this is that, um, uh, is that we, we need to understand these laws. We need to understand these, these laws are real. And we recognize that when I'm holding a grudge, I'm, I am bound, bound emotionally and physically to the person I'm holding the grudge against. So even if they're 200 miles away, even if they're in a different country, even if they're dead, they are still inside us, or that energy is still inside us, and it's still controlling us because we're still angry, we're still vengeful, we still seek justice, or we still seek witness revenge, or we still self-harm, or we still limit our life. Basically, any kind of grudge is an aberration that stops the flow of energy. It stops the full expression of love. This energy of God wants to flow in, and it wants to flow out. It wants to be a, a constant... Un uninterrupted flow. Any kind of blockage eventually will get shifted, but probably not before it causes disease and illness. And obviously, par a parasite is like a cancer. It wants to multiply. It doesn't just want to multiply in me, Carol. It wants to project onto you. It wants to project onto other people. It wants to plant the seed everywhere. You see how quickly a room fills with hate when one person has a strong penchant for hate. You know, how quickly a room falls into unkind gossip when, when a dominating force wants to perpetuate unkind gossip. And see how popular you are when you stand in a room like that and just say, I'm not going to get involved in this kind of conversation because it does not serve me. I understand law and I understand that everything I think and say and do is going to come back to me. I, I'm absolutely certain of that. So I think uh, entanglement is, is a trick. Is this like shifting the entanglement that you, that the other you have with the other person, whether you're in in gossip or revenge or whatever? That you're you're through through this power of forgiveness or through this giving over to the divine. Yeah. That now you can entangle yourself with the divine. Is that if true? you imagine that? <clears throat> if you imagine, <clears throat> excuse me. If you imagine that grudge, anger, resentment, 
they, they, they all live at the plane of perception or concept or precept. Mm -hmm. They all live in the level of perception. What I'm saying is that we go beyond the level of perception and we entangle with God mm -hmm. and we give it all over to him. So we go mm -hmm. beyond the level of perception. Okay. So in that place, there is no perception. It's the field beyond right and wrong. Okay. <clears throat> so my entanglement is no longer with the people you know, that have harmed me. My entanglement is with God. And I'm saying, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. This is what Thomas Merton said. You think I know what I'm doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm only trusting <laughs> I don't that. Have that feeling. What I'm yeah. trying to do is pleasing God and that my wanting to please him pleases him. But I don't even know if I'm on the right road. So I, I, I am, it is beyond fathom. But I know one thing, I give it, if I give it to God, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well, to paraphrase Julian. So it's saying that we entangle with this, instead of entangling with these little bitty, petty forces, we entangle with God and we give it over to him. And we still have our part to play. He might still say, well, you still need to knock on that door. You still need to make that phone call. You still need to have that conversation. You may have to um, report that person, but you don't do it from a place of anger anymore. You don't do it from a place of needing witness revenge. You do it from a place of compassion of love and again compassion isn't something we can just summon up we could it's something we have to call down it's a divine attribute it's actually one of the 99 names of god you know so we we have to we have to invite these as a grace and hope that they come but if we entangle with god all our problems are solved we still have to live in the world and we still have to do things but we you know maybe we have a little war room where we go in and we write all the things down that we can't deal with that we can't cope with and we give them over to god and it and it's not like um it, it's not like we're it's not like we're um it's not like we're giving up our you know we, we still need to do things in the world it's not like we don't do anything it's not like i sit on the settee all day drinking um drinking beer thinking well i'm going to give it all over to god we still have to work we still have to turn up we still have to be courageous but we recognize that if we give the result over to him if we give the fruit over to him it will be worked out impeccably. We just need to turn up and do the things he asks us to turn up. The advocate, you know, the counselor, the spirit, the holy dove, he will do all that for us. So when we surrender ourselves and entangle with this higher force, we completely disentangle from this lower force. These lower forces scatter. They're like, oh, no, he's, <laughs> he's giving, him over, giving himself over to the big man. Now we're in trouble because I'm saying it's not me you're fighting with. It's not me you're tangling with. I'm, I've surrendered to God and I'm still going to act in the world. I'm still going to do what he asked me to do. I'm going to follow the command of the, com I'm going to follow the commandment, the command of the commandment of God. And I'm going to go where he asked me to go. You know, if I'm afraid, I'm just going to remind myself. I only need to be afraid of one thing. And that is the separation from God. And I can only separate myself from God if I fall out of alignment with God. In other words, if I, use my free will to do unkind things. So I keep myself in ceaseless prayer. We've just had two hours of prayer. This is what I would consider the deepest level of prayer because it's two light souls um, um, being vessels for light that we want to go out and save people and say, you are suffering, but you don't need to suffer because you can give that over to God. And that's okay if you don't understand God. That's a Dharma gate. That's a doorway you can enter, a doorway of learning. Be curious. Do you know how much power that you can, that you can bring through you? Do you know how, how much change you can bring just by entangling 
with the Lord of the Lords, with the Tao, instead of entangling with all these petty quarrels that will never be fixed. It's whack-a-mole. You press it down here, it comes back <laughs> up there. It won't be fixed, but if you give it over to this higher power, this highest power, the Ainsoth, it will all be fixed for us. We just have to turn up where he asks us to turn up. So instead of entangling with things that will not be fixed and can't be fixed because the, the great earth is unfathomable, we give it over to this force that sorts it all out for us. Well, Jeff, I think this has been an amazing couple sessions that we've had, and I know you've got to back in and have to go. I find this conversation extremely hopeful. I hope all of the listeners find it hopeful too, because it's all in our power. We have so much yeah. power through the divine, our yeah. surrender to the we divine. We can make the choice. We can make the choice. This, and, this wind is our yeah. Yeah. You could, we create our own beautiful world and everyone creates their own beautiful world. What a beautiful world this whole thing will be. Yeah. And it, and it does take the, yeah. or is, it does take the, the two poles and, and we are like the, the will of the filament. And I love that we, we are it, we're it. it it's up for us. So we, we are the filament. Yeah. Yeah. That's ours. And we have, we have the ability to take control of that. Yes, yeah, and stop yeah, just so focusing on all the gift. evil that's out there. Everyone's like, there's evil out there, evil out there. Well, yeah. yes, and yeah. what we can do about is our own filaments. <laughs> so, I'll just finish by telling you a story. I, I was, uh, I was just, um, uh, I had to go to London, and I didn't want to go. I'd fallen, I'd fallen slightly out of alignment, and I'd got all of this paranoia in my head. It was just after COVID, and there was all sorts of, you know, London was going to be like, if I wasn't bombed by a terrorist, I was going to be, have my vital organs stolen by, you know, by, by a thief with a sharp knife. And it was, it felt like a very dark place, but I knew I needed to go. I needed to go for this specific thing. And as I was walking down Oxford Street, uh, I got these voices in my head, there's evil in the air, the devil is crouching outside every open doorway, everything is a threat. You know, the terrorists are there and all this. And I was walking down Oxford Street and suddenly encamped in the shop doorway, I saw this death shroud of rags. I saw his bare feet first, his naked feet in the middle of one of the richest shopping malls in the, in the world. And I knew I couldn't walk past this man. It was a rough sleep and I couldn't walk past him. But I hadn't got the time or the money or the appetite to, to, to robe this stranger in fine garments. And, and I was telling myself this at the same time as I walked myself into a, a, a clothes store. And when I bought him clothes, but the, the struggle I had, I'd got a meeting to get to and I was late and I hadn't got any money on me. I hadn't got time. And I'd got this argument between my mind and my conscience. And my mind was saying, um, it's not your job. You can't feed every hungry mouth in London. I said, there's a man starving to death in the middle of 20 food outlets. A stranger's life is not your concern. Any man's death diminishes me, any man's death. So eventually my conscience gains this winning hold. Because I'm in this big shopping store, the queue is 100 miles long and it's not moving and there's not enough checkouts open and everything feels useless and my humanitarian urgency feels like a naive folly. And I just want to run out of there and go to my meeting and, you know, like apologies rehearsed. But my conscience wins this winning hold <clears throat> and I quieten my mind to a still and say, I don't care about the meeting. I don't care. There's a man with no shoes and socks on in the middle of Oxford Street. And the moment I make that decision that I am going to buy this stuff because I've got a new pair of shoes, a hoodie, a woolly hat and thermal socks, the moment I decide that I don't care about the meeting, I don't care I'm late, 
and I said, I'm going to buy these and I'm going to go down there. The queue shifts, tills open, and suddenly I am moving swift down Oxford Street. And I stand in front of this guy um, and I say to him, I give him all of these clothes and I say to him, what's your name? And he said, evil. And I said, evil. And he said, my name is evil. And my mum and all of these voices jumped into my mind. What are you going to do about the evil? And I said, I'm going to dress it and feed it and robe it in the armour of the good. That's what I'm going to do. And the moment I gave him this and a little bit of cash for a hot meal, this suddenly Oxford Street was like shining brass. It was like this, the, odor, the sweet odour of sanctity. It was like it was alive and a light. I changed the whole of Oxford Street with a simple act of compassion. So if there's evil out there, which there is, my job is, uh, is, not to, is not to add to the evil by judging the evil and attacking the evil and attacking evil people. My job is to overcome evil with good. My job is to convert evil to good. My job is to be a powerful antioxidant of love and donate and sacrifice some of what I've got to these evil forces by bringing them together with my will force. It took every part of my will force to stop myself from walking past that man because I just didn't have the time. I was so I was so busy and you know and I thought I can't walk past him. I can't. I used my will force to take myself back in the opposite direction. And I felt I felt like St. Christopher carrying the, the, the child Christ over the water. Like this feels disproportionately heavy. But when I got there, Carol, it wasn't an encounter with a rough sleeper. It was an encounter with Christ mm -hmm. in one of his many distressing disguises. And he was saying to me, Jeff, you've fed and clothed me, and I'm going to tell you the secret. The secret is that you overcome evil with good. I am an antioxidant. I am the exemplar of antioxidant. And you can be an antioxidant. You can sanctify the world with kindness. That's what you can do. So was, it, the, the whole thing, this is actually physically what happened. And actually what was said, this man actually said to me, my name is evil. He was showing me how to overcome evil with good. When I got to him as well, it wasn't like he was grateful. It was like he was expecting me. And it, was, it, it couldn't have been more perfect. I've just written a, a short animated film about it and, and it. and it triggered an epiphany afterwards. And I've written, I'm writing a book at the moment. And so far, I'm, I'm 500,000 words in just triggered by this one tiny sanctifying act. The power we have as humans, if we use our will to the good, is immense. It's mighty. Oh, gosh. That's a great closing story. It's like a good Samaritan story. Thank you so much. I was wondering what that story was in part one, so thank you for taking the time in part two. Oh, blessings to you, Jeff. Thank you so much for blessing this audience. And I just know that this is going to go out in the airways and I completely release it. I never know what's going to happen and who's going to be moved, but I absolutely trust that there will be people who are just completely moved by this conversation that we've had today. So thank you it's so much. It's going to be much. really interesting to see where it goes and what it does. It sure We're is. We're going to land it in somebody's life and give them a little spark of love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you everyone who's listening. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, 
You are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.